Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice that brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. And now the entire approach is available for you to digest online from the comfort of your own home. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook Reconditioning HQ Revolution community and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Most recently, Matrix Fitness Canada partnered with Playball Academy Canada in Kitchener, Ontario to create the Matrix Conditioning Centre. The Matrix Conditioning Centre within the facility provides PBA athletes and coaches access to the best and most current conditioning tools to support their development. By combining the Matrix research on product usage with customized needs of the coaches, simple performance metrics are being developed in a body-friendly and progressive way. It is a hybrid model combining high-performance metric analysis with coach-friendly opportunities. Speed training, sprint mechanics, coaching, metabolic conditioning, warm-up and cool-down are all some of the examples of how these tools are being used. Playball Academy Canada was established in 2014 and has developed into one of the premier indoor baseball training facilities in the country. From grassroots player and skill development to the pro level, the facility and its programming continue to evolve and grow. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness equipment that serves exercisers and operators from all corners of the globe. When it comes to sport performance, Matrix Portfolio continues to grow through its partnership with amateur and professional sports organizations globally. To get more information on how Matrix Fitness can customize something for your team, contact Matrix directly at greg.lawler at matrixfitness.com and tell them leave your mark sent you. How would you like to increase your athletic performance and reduce your risk of injury? If this sounds good to you, please allow me to introduce you to the all-new Isofit MSK. The multi-patented Isofit MSK is the world's first full-body portable isometric strength training device. Since launching in November 2020, the Isofit MSK is now helping thousands of people across 18 countries live pain-free, high-performing lifestyles. Whether your goal is to enhance muscle strength and endurance, improve neuromuscular potentiation, strengthen tendons and bones, or enhance cardiovascular performance, the Isofit MSK does it all. To learn more about the Isofit MSK, please visit www.isofitmsk.ca. That's isofit with a P-H-I-T, msk.ca. Remember to use the discount code IHPS at Check out to save yourself $250 per unit. The Isofit MSK is proudly made in Canada. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Sean Scahan. Sean is in his fifth season as strength and conditioning coach for the Minnesota Wild. He served in the same capacity for the men's ice hockey and field hockey teams at Boston University in 2015-16. Prior to joining the 
Terriers in the summer of 2015, Sean spent 13 seasons as the strength conditioning coach for the Anaheim Ducks. During his time with the Ducks, the team advanced to the Stanley Cup in 03 and one in 2007. Prior to working with the Ducks, Scan served as an assistant strength conditioning coach at Boston College and the University of North Dakota. Sean presents at strength conditioning conferences worldwide when his schedule permits and is the author of Total Hockey Training. He is also the proud father of two boys, Will and Wyatt. I'm honored to have him on the show today. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Scotty. Um, I'm truly humbled and honored that um, you're having me on here today. When I look at the the list of speakers and people you've had on your show, um, it's pretty cool to be amongst those people. And um, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, like um, for me, this is uh, a life passion and it's about the storytelling of people's lives in the human performance industry. And everybody's had different different pathways and directions and you definitely have experienced a lot of stuff. And to be honest with you, I should have had you on here earlier than I've had you. But, uh, you, you know, it sort of speaks to your quiet, humble um character that i've always sort of admired in you 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 go about your business doing your work and and uh, don't don't look for accolades around it you just you know you've always done great work so congratulations to you for being where you are in your career now and uh and i'm excited to sort of unpack your life a little bit well thank you for saying that i, I truly greatly appreciate that scotty thank you yeah well let's go back you know where, where did you grow up I grew up in Quincy, Massachusetts, um, which is the city directly, first city directly south of Boston. Okay. And what did you, when you were a little boy, when you looked up at the stars, what did you dream of being? To be honest, I really didn't have a clue. I, I, I loved, I loved playing football. I remember that I, I, I was a good average football player, um, I, I certainly wasn't NFL caliber by any means, but I, I enjoyed competing, playing sports, and just um, having fun. Sometimes a little bit too much fun on the other side of things, but um, no, I, I just really just in, in enjoyed having my my friends, my family, and um, just living. You know, how important was family to you? Pretty important. I have a, I have a younger sister. Mm. And I, my parents are still alive and well. Um, they're still in the house that I grew up in. Wow. And my sister is um, married with three children of her own, um, the next town south of Quincy. So, wow. yeah, my, my whole extended family um, is pretty much in the Boston area. Um, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, um, Everyone is pretty much within like a forty-mile radius of, of Boston. What did you? So, what did your parents do? Uh, my dad worked. My dad was a Vietnam veteran who worked in the United States Postal Service uh, for a long time. And then my mom is a. She still does some work, some side work as a nurse. My my mom was an LPN nurse for quite a long time as well. Is that something that your father shared about when you guys were growing up about his experience or did he stay quiet about all that stuff? Yeah, my dad and I never, I don't believe I've ever had a conversation about his experiences over and over there. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something I've ever brought up to him um, or he's discussed with me and mm -hmm. it's just always been that way. 
Um, but my dad wasn't one of those guys who had the, you know, the, the flags in front of the house that he was a Marine and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that other people do, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just kind of quiet about, you know, serving his country and then coming back home and working and raising a family. What did, what did they want for you? Did they want you to go to school and go to university or was it more sort of blue collar get, get, you know, what was the influence for you to, to educate yourself? You know what? I, I never felt any pressure. Like, you know, I wasn't like, you know, you have to go to college, you have mm-hmm. to do this, do that, you know, which is great. I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I didn't choose a, a trade work career, for example, or go into the postal service or whatever. Um, I got to do what I wanted to do. And I, and I appreciate them for providing me with that opportunity. So what was the, what was the first influence for you that sort of directed you on doing what you wanted to do? You know, I, I was going to college. I went to UMass Boston and I was trying to, you know, continue to play football and I played division three football, which was awesome. It was, I got to live at home. I worked um, as a bartender in Dorchester, Mass and landscaped in the summers. And I played football in the fall. And then I was originally an athletic training major Hmm. and they had a, a pretty good athletic training program at UMass Boston. And however, I played football and part of the requirement as an athletic training student was to get a lot of hours working with a contact sport. And I started to do the math in my head and I'm like, well, how am I going to be able to do that and play the sport? That's the contact sport. <laughs> and so like, to be honest with you, I was into the training. Um, we were doing the Nebraska Husker power program um, for our football team and, and, and I actually liked it. I, I love the, I love the planning of the workouts, like the, the reasons why, like, why are we doing this many sets or why are we doing this exercise? And I just did the program and I actually got stronger and I felt like I was able to perform better on the field. And then it wasn't until like I was in the library at UMass Boston one time and I I came across a, a national strength and conditioning association journal. And I remember it, like I was reading this article about, the Purdue university football training program. And I loved how the outline was there. And it talked about Mike Allstott, who was, you know, the, the running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time, who was just a beast. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be like him. And, and I realized like, wow, this is actually a profession. And so it was great timing at the time because at UMass Boston, we had a new professor come in um, by the name of Avery Fagenbaum, who is, he, he's a, I think he's a big wig in the NSCA still and does a lot of research with children and strength training. And he brought like the, the strength and condition and profession and field to UMass Boston at the time. And, and I was like, wow, this is actually a career. You can do this. And, and I, w- I was hooked then, you know, like my, my, my schooling became easier. I, I was really into learning about exercise physiology and I wasn't, believe me, I wasn't the best student at all. But once I got introduced to kinesiology, exercise science, and everything that, that went with that, I was like, this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Yeah. Did you ever have you ever met Boyd Epley since doing the I never have, no, no, <laughs> no. I mean I've seen him speak a few times, like they mm-hmm. like, yeah, like this guy was, you know, the man, you know. So Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, so you, you go to school, you sort of catch you catch uh or the fishing hook catches you and you start to get into this. When do you actually recognize for yourself that this is something you might do professionally for the rest of your life? The reconditioning experience is completely virtual. We've taken our signature courses, R1 Foundations and R2 Designs, and loaded them onto an online platform. We combine this recorded video experience with live Zoom labs to bring all the principles and practices of reconditioning to life through applied case study. In turn, you walk away with how to best use this language of common practice to bring the worlds of therapy and performance together in one powerful approach that creates lasting change in your client's performance. And we want to see you thrive. So we've built a powerful eight-week mentorship program so you can own the information you've learned in a way that aligns with your working environment. We want you to be the human performance professional everyone wants to work with. Last but not least, we believe that success in life begins with the right mindset. We know that the statistics for burnout in human performance are significant and that many of our colleagues face questions every day about personal fulfillment and living their best life. This is why we have a landmark program for human performance professionals called Empower You. This program is all about crafting your best life, living purposefully, and enjoying the fruits of your impassioned labor. Our next one starts May 15th. For more information about our courses or our process, please visit us at reconditioninghq.com or feel free to reach out to us directly on any of our social networks. I think probably when I I did my internship, um, which was my senior year, end of my senior year, and you know we only had a few people at UMass Boston who were like, oh, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach, and we had... Um, we had internships at Boston College, Harvard, Northeastern, and then Boston University. And you were able to like contact the people and say, hey, I'd like to apply for an internship. And I was, I, I think like I, I chose Boston University because I remember at the time, I've, I've told this story many, many times, like, like Mike Boyle was a big guy back then. We we're talking 1998, and Mike Boyle was on TV training Cam Neely, you know, and Cam Neely was the guy for a, a young Boston kid. You know, he was a goal scorer. He fought a lot, you know, like he was just that blue-collar Boston Bruins type player. And I remember watching, like, you know, news clips of Mike training this guy. I'm like, wow, he, he actually does that for work? Like, that, that'd that be awesome to do, you know? like <laughs> And, like, you know, like, and, and, and more like the – like, no, he's helping him be the player who, who he is. And, and, and Mike was also in the media for like, um, training this guy, Mike Mamula from Boston college and, and for the, the NFL scouting combine. And, 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 and like, that was cool too. Like, so I'm like, this strength and conditioning thing would, would, would be fun to do. I like to work out. I'm an athlete. And then, so I did my internship and I actually got the opportunity to work for for Glenn Harris, who was the director of strength and conditioning at, at Boston University, still to this day, while Mike left and went to work, um, run his private facility. Um, but I did get to work for Glenn and, and get to learn how to train athletes and learn how to coach technique. And then Mike would come in with the hockey guys, and you know Mike's presence was was pretty um, 
remarkable with his hockey athletes. And I, I kind of like that. And, and I, I got to work for, I got to kind of do another internship part-time job. Well, not part-time, but I got to work for Mike during that next summer um, at his private facility. And then, and that's when I started seeing the pro athletes coming in, um, seeing how they trained and how they worked. And then I, I just realized that, wow, I mean, if I want to do this, I, I would, would love to work with hockey players at some point. Mm-hmm. And now like, it's funny, 20, 23 years later, I'm still doing that, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of, that's pretty cool when yeah. I look back at it and think of like how fortunate I am to meet some, some really, really good people that have helped me. So, so far. I'm curious uh, with, as you look back with the lenses of today, you know, I think we all come to a recognition in this profession that, you know, the X's and O's are an important element of what we learn in the beginning. But as we move along professionally, we start to recognize how our relationships and how we connect with our players and, and the athletes we work with makes, you know, a big difference to the success of, of the X's and O's that we deliver. So we don't always recognize that when we're young. But when you look back on your experience um, and you mentioned, you know, like seeing Mike there, et cetera, what did you, what did you, what did you take away? Or when you look back at Mike, then what do you think was Mike's greatest um, strength that you've maybe absorbed in terms of that, not the X's and O's, because we know he's an X's and O's guy, but what, what did you notice about him and the way he connected with the athletes that he worked with that maybe rubbed off on you? Um, I think the ability to, as you know, Scotty, to, to get a professional athlete to do what you would like them to do. And when the athlete has the ability to say, I'm not doing that, you know, or I don't want to do that. I, I, I think I remember, you know, I remember seeing all these pro guys coming in and just doing what was on the sheet that day. And, and I, I, whatever that could have been, and they just did it, you know, like, and I think that that message was conveyed by Mike pretty well that, you know, they knew he was there to, to, to help them. Um, and I think I still try to, I, I going back to the X's and O's part of it, you know, a, as you know, and, and I've figured out along the way that it's not about the X's and O's of what is in that program. It's more about, can you get them, to do what you would like them to do and not feel that you're putting him in harm's way. And mm-hmm. I think Mike still does. Obviously he's, he has that ability to convey that message. Mm, beautiful. So what's the, how do you get your first job? My first job was actually a graduate assistant job at the university of Minnesota where I was, um, I was lucky that someone um, pulled themselves out of it at the last minute. And then I was able to, you know, it just worked out that way. I went to the university of Minnesota where I was working with the, that back then the men's Olympic sports, you know, Minnesota had two separate athletic departments. If you can imagine back then men's and women's, I was a graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach for the men's Olympic sports. And they had a pretty good hockey program there. And I was able to kind of jump in there and, and assist um, a, a, a coach by the name of Brad Arnett. Um, 
so he helped me um, for about a year and a half while I was at Minnesota. And I just coached. I coached men's ice hockey, um, men's track and field, baseball, tennis, baseball. Uh, I said baseball already. Um, and one or two other sports, swimming and diving. I got my hands. Um, I, I was pretty busy during that time there. But they had a pretty good hockey program. And uh, I was able to get involved with, uh, with that program and go from there. What did you fall in love with in that sport? Hockey? Or have you fallen in love with in that sport? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, a great question. for a career now, so. You know what? It, it's, I think I know how to train a hockey player, but I still get, it's, it's in my mind, like, not, you know, not every hockey player is the same, as you know. You know, you could have a guy that's really fast, a guy that's really slow, that with, with great hands and great hockey sense. You might have a guy who's really fast that doesn't have a good hockey sense. You might have a six foot six, 220 pound defenseman. You might have a five foot eight, 170 pound forward. And, and that, that would, that is what intrigues me is learning how to figure out how to train them the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it also with the fact that, again, as you know, they're, they're great people for the most part, they're great, humble people that appreciate you helping them. And they're easy to, to, have relationship with and help them and have success with, um, in the team environment. And, and that's what I really love about it. What are some of your belief systems from early on that you have since dropped because you recognized that that didn't, you know, didn't make sense for this game or these, this set of athletes or just in terms of your own growth as a practitioner over time? Yeah. I think for me, when I first started in the, in the pro environment, it was, I came from a, a college environment, a team training environment, which I still think it has its merits. And I feel, I still think there's a lot of positives with doing things together, whether it's warming up or everyone's strength training, or we're doing something together all the time. And I came into that mentality in, in Anaheim back in 2002 where they didn't have a strength and conditioning coach prior to that full time. And so I, all I knew was how to train a team of athletes. And I think I brought that to them and that structure was necessary for, for that organization at that time. And I just rolled with that then, but over time I, I realized that, like I said earlier, everyone's different. Everyone needs something different. Um, there are things that are, I believe that are necessary for everyone that everyone should work on and everyone needs, but there's little layers and branches that go off of each, each, each individual that you might need to spend more time with or less time with, depending on the athlete. And I think, but I think that whole, we're all doing this at the same time that is morphed into more of providing structure in a team environment. However, there's different avenues um, with each individual, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you, t- how do you get the job with Anaheim? I got the job with Anaheim. Actually, our good buddy, um, Peter Friesen knew Mike Babcock well. And sure enough, like this, as you know, this, this hockey world, the strength and conditioning world, it's, it's not about 
putting your resume together and sending it to Anaheim and saying, Hey, I want the job. It's Pete Friesen knew Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock said, Hey, I'd like to find a strength and conditioning coach. Pete Friesen calls up Mike Boyle and Mike Boyle says, would you want to, would you be interested in going to Anaheim? And I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's how I, I interviewed with Mike. I interviewed with Mike in Las Vegas at an NSCA conference summer of 2002. And, um, Pretty intimidating experience, but uh, it was it was it worked out well because he called me on Monday. So yeah, um, that's how it worked. Yeah, talk talk about your first day on the job. You walk into an NHL dressing room, and you know what? I think Tamu Salani's there. I'm sure, and all these different well, Ta- guys. Like Tamu wasn't there then. Timo, no, he wasn't there at that Timo time. Tamu was on the Sharks then. Okay, I, I, it's funny because I I'll, I'll mention the other guy, but I, I'll go back to something else. I I accepted the job, and all I could hear about was Paul Korea this, Paul Korea, Korea that, okay, Paul yeah. Korea, Paul Paul Korea likes to do this, Paul Paul Korea likes things this way, blah blah blah. <laughs> and actually, um, Tina Murray was consulting with the Ducks because her her, her uncle Brian was the general manager, mm-hmm. who was I'll just go off for a second here. He, he was the 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 best person in the world, and um, rest in peace, but he, he was so awesome. And he hired me there and he told me, I have never fired anyone that I've hired. And, and that, that was Brian, like Brian, you know, he was just a special, special person. So anyways, going back to Paul. So I, you know, I, I decided like, okay, I better meet with this Paul Korea guy, you know? And like, he was the guy, like he, he, you know, you're looking at the nowadays looking at salary cap, like Paul was making probably $10 million at the time. And the team payroll was 33 million. So that, that's, that was, that was Paul. And like, and, and Tina came in and Tina had the same mentality that I did. She's like, okay, this is our weight room. And we had like five or six machines in there, you know, and it was a leg press. It was a leg curl. It was a multi-hip machine. And going back to what I talked about, the team environment, I said, how can you get a team in here before practice or after a game? And, and Tina actually ordered the equipment there. She did a hell of a job with getting the proper equipment in there to facilitate team workouts. Well, that, and I didn't, and I only heard about this, you know, from staff members or people around the organization. Well, you know, you better check with Paul if you want to t- get that hamstring curled machine out of here, or if you want to take that leg press machine out of here. And I just, <laughs> we just gutted it out and replaced it with all new stuff from power lift. And so I met with Paul Harry. I'm thinking like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to have this conversation about his machines being removed. And Paul Korea was, was unbelievable. He was, that's what, that's what we need. That's what we need here. You know, not, not a lot of guys train, um, I'm like, Paul, this is why we removed this machine or this machine. We have to utilize space. Here's what we can do instead of doing leg curls, doing leg press. And Paul was hooked and Paul was just a great professional and he, he loved it. He loved the training atmosphere. And, um, it, and then getting to know Paul was, you know, Paul's, Paul's a great person. And I had a lot of fun working with him that year. Um, mm. But going back to Timo, I then working with Timo a few years later, I really wish I had the opportunity to work with both of them on the same team. 
Wow. Because yeah, I really do. But, um, but yeah, that's how it started there. Um, me and Paul had lunch. We talked about my vision and yeah, Paul was all, all on board. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, not, those are not easy stories if they don't go the right way for you. But obviously again, again, I, I, I bet you some of it has to do with uh, your character and the way you approach things. And, um, you know, you don't have to name names, but tell me about a difficult moment in the in the in the business where maybe things didn't go where you know you thought they should go, or you ran head to head with a coach or a player or something. And how did you how did you deal with that, or or redirect it, or or manage that challenge? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, there, there have been there have been times where players haven't embraced, you know training off the ice or, you know, maybe me as a person, which is fine. Um, but yeah, there's been some situations, um, you know, I remember vividly where like I just went up to a player and said, Hey, it'd be great if you could spend a little bit more time in here and player got totally defensive. And then I don't think I, I don't think I had a conversation with them for maybe three months, (laughs) but, but like it's, it's, it's not funny, but I, I think if a player or a person is having a confrontation with a strength and conditioning coach, they're probably having confrontations in, with assistant coaches or, or athletic trainers, and which was not great, but like he, the player wasn't with the team anymore soon after that, you know, and I think not because of me and him not getting along, but yeah, I mean, only a couple times and and luckily like those, those players showed that character and other areas where the team decided to move on. So, mm-hmm. but it, it's not fun. It's not fun because you worry like, what's the team going to think, you know, and you, you have people thinking you should have stood up for yourself and, you know, offered them to a fight in the parking lot. You're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Especially with this specific player. I was thinking, I'm thinking about, but, um, yeah, like those those moments suck. You know, you have you have moments where you know there's still a I still see it being talked about in the media with an old coach that I worked for and an old player that played for for the team and they hate each other. And, and there's two sides to every story, and and I I saw the side that the player didn't agree with, and and that and that's like you know stuff like that, and you just go about your business and you know yeah. just try to be the best strength and conditioning coach person you can be. You uh, were in the NHL for a period of time um, where I I think a lot of things changed from the start of your career to now in terms of Mm -hmm. the position, the expectations of the position. Some guys have, I'm not even sort of clear on your staff now, but some guys have assistants and there's Mm -hmm. sort of this integrated performance teams and people oversighting these things, you know, just talk about that, the growth of the game uh, and and your position and your role and how it's changed from the day you started to, to now in some sense, uh, yeah. you know, what, yeah, what, I mean, what does that feel like, or how is how is, how do you reflect on that now? I I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have a full-time assistant strength and conditioning coach with me now, but I look back in those days in Anaheim when I was by myself and how, how was I able to do that by myself back in 2002, 2003, or even up to 2015? Like, how was I able to do that by myself and provide 
what is I think is necessarily from, from a from a global perspective. How how was how how did that happen? Because nowadays you 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 need that help. You need that assistant. You need that department versus that one man show. And I just I don't know. I, I don't think I think we're providing more for the players that we did back then. Um, that that's, I look at that and I just question like, wow, that was crazy. Like <laughs> did it by myself, but also we had one athletic trainer that traveled with us. We had two equipment managers now three full-time equipment managers, um, two assistant athletic trainers with the, the head athletic trainer. Like, yeah, like it, it's necessary. It's so the, the health and the well-being of the player has definitely improved and, and you know, we, we don't have the biggest staff. There's other teams with sports performance directors, high performance directors, full-time strength and conditioning coaches and assistants under them. Like that is, that is crazy. And I, I still, I do think that it's been good for the game. Hmm. Tell me when, when do you start having, how old are you or how long are you in the league when you start having your family? Uh, 30, 30 years old when my son was born. Um, yeah, he is now going to be 15 next week. Mm. And um, so how do you manage that becoming a dad in, in this grind of the business? Oh, I wish I could go back and do things differently, to be honest with you. Um, it's a grind and you, you miss out on a lot of things because you're, you know, you're, you're in, I don't know, San Jose for a game and it's his birthday or, you know, you're missing out on a baseball game or a hockey game. Like, yeah, like that, that, that is tough. And yeah, now it's, he's older now and it's about just managing the time I have when I'm with them. And I also have a a younger son who's going to be 10 in a few weeks. So yeah, that, that's, Man, you're right. It's it's the grind. It's the sometimes you get into it so much. You're you're going a million miles an hour, and it's not till the off season when you reflect upon what you missed that that past year, and that's tough. It's it it really is. Um, but again, moving forward, you you make decisions on how to spend your time properly. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure if you listened to the podcast I did with uh, Shelly Surrey, but I know you um, bumped into Shelly, you know, good yeah. human being. And he talked a lot about, you know, and I've talked to different guys who played the game, but, you know, I think it's not dissimilar to what we deal with as professionals as well. And I talked to him about that is just this idea that you kind of bite your bottom lip, suck it up and deal with what's going to go going on. And, you know, I'm not in the business anymore, but has that changed at all that you, you know, are you able to sort of talk about the strain of the game and the things that you're dealing with and, and whether it's home life or, or, you know, relationships with players or is, or is there still a demand that you've got to kind of make, you know, be the warrior in some sense in the work that you do? Matrix Fitness is a global brand of exercise equipment managed locally in the countries it serves. In Canada, Matrix Fitness is 56 employees, four offices, a technical support team across Canada covering all regions and serving some of the biggest fitness and hospitality brands in your community. In 2021, Matrix will celebrate its 20th anniversary and sixth year within Canada. 
An emerging market for Matrix is its sport performance and athletic training portfolio. While Matrix Fitness has gained significant momentum in the fitness market, strength and conditioning is evolving, and for that they need to collaborate with some good people. In the second half of 2020, Matrix launched its own Canadian Ambassador Program, a partnership that looks to do exactly that, work with good people who serve athletes. This is an opportunity to be part of a growing and emerging brand in the ever-changing industry of sport performance. For more information on their ambassador program and exploring the details of how it might work for you, please contact the Vice President of Business Development, Greg Lawler. You can contact Greg at greglawler at matrixfitness.com. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think what I I think what I've done, I, I do the best job I can with is, is just living in the moment and just making the next best decision, you know, living with your responsibilities at that moment in time. And it just next thing you know, that turns into weeks, months, years. So like, I, I don't know. I think I just try to live in the moment hmm. and not overthink and overanalyze things. Okay. I, I think that's the best way for me to handle that kind of stuff. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. So speaking of moments, you know, you, you go to the cup finals in 03 and then you go and you win in 07. Tell me about that experience. Like, uh, that's not, yeah. it, it's not a usual, like, I think sometimes, and I say this sometimes in the podcast, when I have guys on who have won, it's not actually a usual experience for many of us who worked in the business, you know, talking to Reggie a while ago, who worked 17 years after me, never won a cup. You got a guy like Jim Ramsey in New York, yeah. the head trainer who's been there 20 something years and never won a cup. My, my good friend, Graham Ryan, who's that there because the Canadians has been there over 25 years, hasn't won a cup. So when you, when you win that, you know, do you reflect on that 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 of the 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 reality that this is not a simple thing may, and it may never happen again kind of thing? Oh my yeah, like <laughs> my well think about my first season we we lose in game 7 of the Stanley Cup finals and like it's just it's just crazy, you know, we we won 7 overtime games, 7 and 0 in overtime games in the playoffs that year. And next thing you know you're in game 7 of the Stanley Cup finals, you I remember like Sam Ryan from um, NBC Sports is interviewing me before like game one of the Stanley Cup Finals because we had like a ten day break. She's like, "So, Sean, what do you what did you guys do over the last ten days?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Like, what <laughs> is this really happening? Like, you know, like in this, like, yeah, that was crazy." And then to win it a few years later, like, <clears throat> just lucky that that team that we had, the '07 Ducks team, like, oh my god, it was just. I don't know. Like that team just stepped on the ice every night and just said, we're going to outscore you. If you want to play that way, if you want to fight, we're going to kick your butt. You know, like <laughs> this, the, 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 like the, the confidence and like the, the aura around that team was just, it was really cool to be a mm. part of it. And, and I just made sure they didn't get hurt the best way I could, you know, like it just, you know, provided them with, warm-ups and shakes and workouts whenever we could and, and like yeah then to 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 not only like like to we didn't steamroll through the playoffs but we we were the dominant team in every series we played <clears throat> and it, it was just that was just a lot of fun like it was just it's such a good team when you think about the players and and um 
how they collectively played as a, a group all year mm-hmm. long and the, the coaching that was done and the management. It was pretty impressive. Do you remember a moment during the playoffs, either in the final series or, you know, generally where you looked around the dressing room and kind of just had a sort of a moment of pause of whole, holy sort of holy shittedness in some sense? <laughs> like, yeah. This you know, is what, happening you know what was really cool was like, you know, you, you spend a lot of time with the, the, the guys that are called up um, that are, that are there to provide depth and support and, you you see them coming down and getting dressed the so they can go on the aces. ice after the game the black yeah we don't say that word but um <laughs> we you know like that that was pretty cool to see those guys getting fired up and putting their stuff on and then you kind of look back at the year prior the, the the ducks had lost to the edmonton oilers in the western conference finals and i remember like seeing Tamo like sitting in the gym with his gear still on, you know, cause his, his years were, were, were numbered in terms of him winning, winning a Stanley cup. I remember reflecting upon him sitting there that year prior, um, just crushed they, that they lost to Edmonton in the, in the finals. But then to see him win it the next year, that was pretty cool. Like I remember mm-hmm. those kind of moments in time and seeing, you know, Scotty and Robbie, brothers celebrating together like you're really happy for the players mm-hmm. what did you do with your stanley cup day um i was able to get it in boston um nice we, we had it, we had it in boston it came from i think montreal actually where um J- jiggy had it for the day and then i got it the next day and yeah it was a lot of fun that was it was a good long day of you know it, i don't know it's you know, I was young at the time, younger at the time, and it was all about partying and all that, which is fine. But there's there's day parts of the day where it was about just having it in my house, my parents' house, and sitting on the couch, and we're just kind of hanging out and just taking it in. And um, yeah, that was a fun day. It was it's pretty cool when you think about it. You know, like you, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the greatest trophy in all sports, and it's the in my opinion, the hardest to win, it's, it, it, things have to just go right. You need luck, you need health, you need goaltending, obviously. Everything has to just go right. And mm-hmm. luckily for us, we were able to do that that year. Talk a little bit about, uh, maybe it's inconsequential, but you, you grew up on the East Coast uh, as a Boston boy, so to speak, and now you go to Anaheim and you're in kind of SoCal and it's mm-hmm. a little different. What's, what's, what's that? You know, was that hard for you bringing up your family there and stuff, or was it inconsequential? I think it was inconsequential. I, in, inconsequential. I just just went out there and had a job to do and, and help a team and, and live out there. And, yeah, and it was, you know, going back to, like, the cup day, like, I, I, I had the, the cup. All my family was there. But Boston won it, I think, what, in 2011? <laughs> like, I got maybe relatives and friends that waited in line for, like, two hours to see the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I'm like, you, really, you realize I had the same trophy? And, like, you had access to it, you know? Like, you, had, you, you know, it was right there. You could take pictures with it. You can touch it, whatever. And they waited in line because Boston won it. It's like, it's the same trophy, you know, but I get it. Like Boston fans, you know, and, and that was pretty cool. Um, 
but yeah, no, I just went out there and tried to like do the best I could. And, and, you know, I, would I have loved to have been the head strength coach for the Boston Bruins back then? Probably at the time, but my, my path wasn't that it was mm -hmm. go to Anaheim and help an organization that was, um, you know, a Disney organ Disney run organization and help help in some little way, make them a better team. Yeah. I, I, I made a post this morning about um, the end of my stint with the Rangers. And I'm just curious uh, how, how did things come to a conclusion for you in Anaheim and, and how did you manage that? And then yeah, I want to circle back on how things came back, back for you again, but yeah, well, I think to be, to be honest, the last couple of years out there, I was best way to put it is I was enduring versus enjoying mm -hmm. what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And for, for, for whatever reasons, I just felt that I, I needed to do something else. And it was hard. It was hard to just say, all right, you know, I, I need to do something else, but things, things led up to that decision. Um, that again, I just wasn't enjoying my work as much as I felt I, I, I should be enjoying my work. And so that was a change that was a very difficult move, uh, risky move. And I, 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 I took a position at Boston university where I could, I could have been there. I, I was pretty content on being there a long time and just living in Massachusetts, um, but I needed a shift in my own personal well-being in terms of my own personal happiness. And mm. I didn't do a good job of controlling that. It was more about letting outside influences affect my own happiness. You know, it's, it's Orange County. Why, why shouldn't I be happy? But I just wasn't enjoying my, my work or my contribution at that time to what I was doing. Mm. And I never... Well, you can go. You can go ahead and ask the next question. I think I know where you're going to go. No, I, I, I'm actually just interested in you know. I was more interested in your story as to why you, yeah, you, you know, wh where it went and why it went there, sort of thing. No, no, I was just, I was just going to say, like, I then went to Boston University, and I always had this, I always had this in my head, like, you know, I would go back to work in the league, um. But I had a checklist of things that I would go back that I would go back for. Mm -hmm. And one of them was work for great people mm -hmm. and autonomy. And if those fit that that checklist with you know the, the, the place I wanted to go, then I would I would go again. And that's how that's how it worked out. Mm -hmm. That's why I was able. That's why pretty much I was back in the league after a year. So how did that? How does that opportunity? Yeah. How does that opportunity happen? And how do you how do you make those check boxes actually come to fruition for for you? Yeah. Well, I I always had a, an admiration for Minnesota. I used to love coming in and out of there. Um, my 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 boy's mom is from Minnesota. Her family's out there. And I've always just thought that the people I interacted with in the state of Minnesota were great people. Um, 
but the 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 general manager at the time was Chuck Fletcher, who is now the general manager for the Flyers. And he he and I had worked together in Anaheim years ago. And great person, great, great guy, great hockey guy, great mind. So he was a GM in Minnesota. And Bruce Boudreau, who I did work for in Anaheim before I decided to resign, he got hired as the coach for the Wild. And I was very fortunate that Bruce was like, he called me a day after he gets hired and asked me if I wanted to come. And with my relationship with Chuck, it was, it worked out that that was a situation that checked the boxes for me. Hmm. Yeah. So you've been out there a while now and I would be remiss if I didn't, um, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting um, stuff going on in, in America over the last uh, few years. And definitely there's a court case that everybody's kind of very on pids and needles right now. But how has that affected um, your life, your work, your world, what's, what's happened in that city over the last you know, year and a half? Yeah, yeah there's definitely a, a level of, of keeping it in the back of your mind it's it's just crazy how it, it, especially there it's got turned upside down a little bit yeah and this this week with this case going on like we don't know what we're going to go be going back to and you know we had a an, another incident a couple of weeks ago that actually affected we had to cancel our game that night mm. and then we had to reschedule another game the, the next game from 7 p.m. to 1 p.m. on a Wednesday. So yeah, it, it does have an effect. It does have an effect on everything in, in not only Minneapolis, not only the Minneapolis St. Paul area, but the whole country. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely um, different times. And how have you, how have you navigated the, this crazy disease and how it's affected the business and the game and everything else. Like, uh, you know, yeah. what, how has it made you reflect on your work on, on life, et cetera? Well, it's crazy. It's, you know, April 20th and I actually got it a year ago, about a year ago right now. And I was the only person in the organization to have it. Really? If, wow. Yeah. This is, so I, we get shut down in mid March. I got it and, late April. And it was, I think getting it and getting the symptoms I had makes you like understand what this really is. And then, so then we started, we actually were in the bubble last year in Edmonton and we had like the next, so from April to July, there was no positive tests in the organization. And then we had a few players get it. And then we go to the bubble and the bubble was crazy. Daily COVID testing. Um, you're in this confined space for as long as you're playing there. And we were, we lost in, I think, four games. We were home quickly. But, you know, you think about the Dallas Stars and the, I think um, Tampa, yeah, Tampa. You think about how long they were there for, you know, like, wow. And it's just, we, we, we lived it for about 10 days. Um, yeah, like that has an effect. And, and even this season, it's just been, we're still kind of in mini bubbles. We're not able to go anywhere. 
even when we're at home, we're not supposed to go anywhere when we're at home, just confined to our homes and in the rink. Mm. And um, that's crazy. And and now there's some fans coming back into some buildings and, and that's fun to see. Um, but it's been, it's been challenging masks every day, COVID tests every day. We actually had an outbreak a couple months ago where I think we had 12 to 14 players affected by this. And it was from a performance side of things, we were able to, we were able to rest some injuries as well and come back, come back healthier afterwards. If that makes sense after a COVID crisis. <laughs> um, so like that, you know, it, it kind of helped us. I mean, just to rest and recuperate some of these injuries that we did have at the time mm. and also kind of get guys, the healthy guys refreshed while the other guys recovered. And then, yeah. Still kind of, you never know, you never know when an outbreak could happen. And that's the, that's the crazy part of this. It's, mm-hmm. you, you know, like you look at Vancouver right now, like scary. So. How do you, how do you continue to, to refine your game and be the best you can be at what you do? Like who do you confide in, read, uh, connect with so that you can sort of keep pushing your boundaries of being uh, good at what you do? Well, I, I always try to keep reading. I always try to read something, you know, at least 10, 10, 15 pages a day of a book or something. And, and I, I listen to podcasts like yourselves and um, the, the Anthony's uh, strength coach podcast. And I try to keep up with educational content on social media um, the best I can. And if an article spikes my interest, I'll read that. Um, I, yeah, I try to I try to keep up to speed on everything the, the best I can, and it's just utilizing downtime, whether it's on a plane, um, before bed, yeah, the best I can. It's it's or act, you know watching your seminar that you had um, online last summer that was awesome. It's good. To, it's good stuff to keep to keep up to speed on what your peers are doing, you know, better than yourself, and you're like okay, this is what he does. You know, I like that. I like mm-hmm. to know, okay, how other guys in my roles do their own work, do their work that works for them. And mm-hmm. you can kind of pick up, be, pick up, you know, bits and pieces. And then I still, still try to have a conversation with the, the, the other team's performance staff while we're visiting them or they're visiting us. And I think that's important. Well, if you, if you met uh, Sean Scan before he came to the Anaheim Ducks, you bumped into him in a in a in a bar or restaurant today, what would you say to him? Well, you've gotten a lot grayer, um, <laughs> losing some hair. <laughs> you know, I I would probably say just, you know, what, what I what the way I try to live now is just live in the moment and and don't be thinking about the future, don't be thinking about the past, don't be thinking about you know, like, how can you, how can you, I don't know, make more money or or make a name for yourself? Like, don't worry about that. Just, just work and and have fun and, you know, love your family, love your your kids and love your friends. And that's it. You know, Mm. everything else will take care of itself. Beautiful. Yeah. Nice way to finish my friend. Thank awesome. you very much for taking the time. It's been a nice hour yeah. with you. It's always great to see you, Scotty. Like I remember 
like I, I think I've like yourself, I, I first remember reaching out to you. I think I was at Boston College and we had a we had a guy, JD Forrest, actually got cut on his wrist. And mm-hmm. JD's now the he's actually the coach for Wilkesbury in the American Hockey League. And I remember like you guys had it might have been Donald Audette who had that same mm-hmm. injury. And so mm-hmm. like I called you and asked you questions and I still like to do that kind of stuff. And I remember you being a, a mentor to me. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And um, I really have a lot of respect and admiration for guys like yourself and, and Peter twist, you know, Lauren, all those guys that were pioneers in this field. So I appreciate that. Thanks buddy. Appreciate yeah. you. Thanks for taking the time today on your day off. Now get to the pool. <laughs> There'll be some pool time, I think, with lots of sunscreen. (laughs) All right, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Scotty. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.